Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to another edition of Church Matters. Fingerprints of Fire, Footprints of Peace is a new book by Noah Moles that challenges and stretches Christians and their churches to ask big questions and dares to offer radical, unconventional answers. We'll be breaking up this program into two parts, starting with part one today. Noel was born in India in 1945, the eldest child of missionary parents, and grew up in the foothills of the Himalayas. Experienced in church leadership, he is a founding member of the Anabaptist Network in the United Kingdom. He's the co-founder of Peace School and is developing the Peace Church concept to help people think differently and creatively about being church both locally and globally. Noel is passionately committed to nonviolence, social justice, and the integrity of all creation. The values of peace, freedom, truth, and wisdom are central to his Christian faith. He lives in Sheffield, United Kingdom, with Rowena. They have been married since 1971, and they have three adult children. Welcome to Church Matters, Noel. Thank you, Dan. Um, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to be part of the uh, Church Matters conversation and program. In your book, you tell a story, Noel. You board a nearly empty train car. You look forward to a two-hour journey in peace and quiet. Seconds before departure, a group of 20 alcohol-primed football fans pour into your compartment, and then one of them asks you a question that completely takes you by surprise. What unfolded in that train car? Well, usually I read a book, but I was wanting to do some work actually on church. Uh, I was going to be teaching it, and I had some papers in front of me, uh, and they all came in. They sitting all next to me. I was all uh, surrounded by them, uh, and um, I, I was kind of putting my head down, thinking, "Well, I'll try and get some work done, anyways." When suddenly there was a <coughs> sort of sound, a coughing sound, and um, this voice saying, "Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir." Um, I had in front of me a, a sheet of paper with with ninety six phrases or statements about the church that are found in the New Testament, descriptions of the, of, of the church. And he was reading these upside down. And he said, excuse me, sir, um, is, is that how you see the church or is this how I should be seeing the church? And, for, you know, I was just totally stunned that, that a young man, you know, quite well awash with alcohol uh, or anyways if it, like him would, would be asking me a question like that. And so I, you know, we started talking and suddenly the, the conversation just opened up. His friends were um, around him um, joining in the, in the conversation. We were talking about God. We were talking about the world. We were talking about the environment. We were talking about evil. We were talking about war. Um, just every conceivable subject you could think of for the next two hours. And sometimes there were moments when the, the whole carriage seemed to be debating the finer points of some theological sort of issue. It was quite remarkable. And in the middle of that, every so often two of the guys who were really drunk had to keep pulling them apart because they were fighting each other. They said, you know, they're not really like this. When they're sober, they're really nice guys, you know. And, and, um, and so it went on. And then we got um, near to the station, about five minutes away from the station. And this guy, he just looked across at me and he pointed his finger in a very, as he said, you have got to find a way of talking to us. He said, we know lots of Christians. He said, they're not interested in us. Um, they point the finger and they make us feel guilty. Um, that, but they're not, he said, you have listened to us. You have um, uh, responded to our questions. You've asked us questions. We, we've, we've liked what we've heard. You've got to find a way of talking to us. By that time, the train had come to the station and they were gone. I was just left with this kind of request hanging in the air. Wow, it's just amazing. 
So what did that experience then reveal to you about the assumptions that Christians make when engaging strangers? I think the assumptions that Christians make when they engage um, strangers is that um, uh, they uh, actually think that people aren't interested. You know, I mean, I, my, I would never have thought a, 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 a Christian conversation would have come out of something like that. I was just hoping I could survive the journey, you know. And here I found, even though there was a lot of alcohol around, um, the fact that they were they were really interested. There were real questions that were that, that were there. And so I think this assumption that people aren't interested is just completely different. And this this experience, and I, well, I, I was sure it was true anyways. Opened that up. What I have found is that people are not interested in Christian doctrines. But three areas in the UK that, that people are really interested in. One is spirituality. Spiritual is always interest in spirituality. Second is ethics, how we behave, how we act, the kind of ethical problems that we, we face as human beings in the world today. And the third is apologetics, you know, the big questions. Um, the usually big one is, you know, if there's a God, why is there pain and suffering? But is there a God anyways? And, and um, all these other kind of questions like that. There's a, there's a huge um, interest in that. And um, that's been you know, a delight to in to to in to engage with, and I think also that the strangers um, have assumptions about Christians that we're not interested in them. Your book explores questions of self-identity and people who identify themselves first via an affiliation, perhaps with a wider religious or cultural identity. Some would say first they are Christian or Buddhist or Muslim. Share with our listeners your story about Fran and how that prompted your thinking about self-identity. Yes, um, I was at a, a, a young adults conference um, where I was being asked to talk about the way in which different world faiths understand peace. And the, the, the session went very well, lots of young adults there. And then we moved to, to having a, a meal together. And we were sitting at the meal table. And it was interesting how the conversation went around because um, some people were saying, well, you know, I'm a Christian um, or I'm a Buddhist or uh, the, these kind of Hindu ideas I find really interesting. But they were, they were very much identifying themselves with a particular faith. And there was this young woman just sitting quietly. I could tell from her body language and her face that she was listening quite intently to everything that was going on. And then there was a, a kind of a dip, a lull in the conversation. And she said... Um, um, but I'm Fran. Why do I have to need, be anybody, anybody or anything else? And it just the way she said it I just was so profound. I thought, this young woman has hit the nail on the head that time and again, religion in particular, but other cultures, we, we kind of put on a kind of a uniform um, that says, well, this is what I am. We want to look like everybody else. We're trying to, what is a good Christian like or a good Buddhist like? And she's just saying, I'm me. Why do I have to be anything else for me? And I really thought, I thought, that is actually at the heart of the gospel. So how might Fran's story then inform one's faith journey? Well, the first thing that Fran's observation is, reminds us that we are all unique. And I think that's really, really important. And if I take that word unique, and um, I think of the, the phrase that is so often used in Scripture about being holy, um, and in fact, let's tie it down to the story of Moses standing in front of the bush in the desert that burned but wasn't consumed. Remember, he started taking sandals off because it's holy ground. 
And then God begins to speak to him, and he's told to go back to Egypt and all of this kind of thing. And he's struggling. He says, right, well, who shall I say has sent me? And the reply God gives is basically, I am. Okay. Now, the word holy in Hebrew is kadosh, and the best English word to translate it is literally unique. And so God is saying, I am holy. God is saying, I am unique. But we also know from Genesis 1 that we are made in the image and likeness of God. So we are also unique. And so the paradox, really, of the, of the Jesus way um, is that we, we seek to be more Christ-like. We seek to be more godly. Now, if that is really happening, then at the same time, we should also increasingly become uniquely ourselves. The, the, the great thing about Christ-likeness is not that we become a Jesus clone, but that we experience that, you know, that inner personhood of God through the life of the Spirit that enables us to become more completely who we actually are as an individual than we were before. I just, I just love that. You've been called or, in fact, given the identity of shalom activist. What is a shalom activist? A shalom activist um, is um, somebody who is energized by uh, the biblical vision of shalom to change the world, um, in, uh, and that this this vision of changing the world to harmonize with the biblical vision of shalom um, provides hope and energy. That's that's what I would see. For me, there's a real need to sort of get behind, okay, what, what is the biblical vision of shalom? And um, it's usually translated as peace, but the word wholeness, integratedness, completeness is a much sort of better term. So a shalom activist is someone who's energized by that vision. How can we tell whether shalom is present? Well, there are three clear biblical markers. The first one is shalom is present when people's material needs are met. Shalom is present when there is justice in relationships. Shalom is present when there's integrity in character. Shalom is also about relationships, relationship with God, with and within ourselves, as we've been talking about. Um, it's relationship with other people, other human beings, and also relationship with wild nature. And uh, the biblical text is very clear that there are six things that we're to be doing. We're to be seeking shalom. We're to be proclaiming shalom. We're to be shalom making. We're to be living shalom, having a shalom character. We're to be praying shalom, and we're to be expecting shalom. So a shalom activist is someone who's, who's energized and whose activity is, is very much informed and, uh, by those pointers that I've just given to you. Those two words, shalom and activist, I think are very deliberately put together, but some of our listeners may shudder at the term activist. Activists are often associated with violent activities, and the news media is full of negative references to activists. How would I know a shalom activist if I saw one? Well, I, I hope you would notice a shalom activist because they had the characteristics of, of, of godliness. Certainly, they would be passionately committed to nonviolence. Um, and they would be energized to bring wholeness, integrity, and relationship. Now, um, just give um, give you one example. There's a Canadian, Lauren Wilkinson, who um, some years ago was on uh, Vancouver Island um, where there were a group of pagan activists who were resisting uh, an attempt to, to destroy forest land. 
and so they occupied the territory and um, and, and and Lauren and his, his wife and daughter camped with them and shared the hardships because the authorities were coming down on them hard and there was a, a grandmotherly pagan woman there who was kind of teaching them all non-violent resistance techniques and of course in the long hours of waiting and things like this they would be singing songs and uh, uh, Lauren and his um, and, and and his wife and daughter taught them the the, the song from the um, the book of Isaiah. The trees of the field will clap their hands, and everybody was you know the pagans and the Christians were all singing this, and the pagans didn't realize it came from the Bible. And this opened up conversations of um, of the significance of the fact that they were Christians. They hadn't kind of really picked that up, and um, it, it profoundly changed the way the um, the pagan community saw them, and they also saw the sincerity and the deep spirituality of the pagans that changed their view of pagans and together they also stood resisting the injustice of what was taking place so that would be one you know very significant example of an expression of uh, a shalom activist very clearly that completes part one of our two-part series on shalom activism join us again next time for part two We have over 20,000 listeners of this program. In 2012, Church Matters podcasts were downloaded nearly 6,000 times. We're grateful for each and every listener. To continue hearing Church Matters, please consider supporting this program with a gift to Mennonite Church Canada. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca and click on the donate link. If you would like to read Fingerprints of Fire, Footprints of Peace, just visit the resources.mennonitechurch.ca center online. My name is Dan Dick, and you've been listening to Church Matters. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. Are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.